handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 10.03 a.m. Eastern on June 20th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Just finished breakfast, the standard, scrambled eggs, blueberries, black coffee. Every day starts out good. It's my it's my eternal optimism, and it, it ref, is reflected in my diet. And then by 2 p.m., if I haven't made it to the gym, I'll be playing video games while eating an entire jar of Talenti and going... Hope springs eternal tomorrow, but let's hope today is a good day because, uh, you know, we've got green tea and forest fecal matter, a.k.a. walnuts, on deck for the post-podcast snack, and it's Juneteenth observed today. It's It's Juneeth. That's how I refer to Juneteenth when observed on June 20th, Juneeth. So I'm off from work um, because... uh, you know, we're we're doing the right thing. We we represent uh, lots of horrible people, but we uh, we check all the right bells and whistles. That's um, just big law firm joke. They all they're all terrible, um, <laughs> uh, but still not as bad as the comedy industry. That's the thing. Um, I still think that just poverty is not. On a, on an instant on, on an individual level, poverty can often explain things. But on a business level, um, just because comedy club owners don't make as much as uh, partners at law firms and CEOs of businesses doesn't mean they can't be shitty or even shittier people. And just because comedians live five to a room um, and, uh, you know, have poor social skills or or whatever um, doesn't mean that they can't be even worse people morally and ethically than, um, you know, contract killers and... CEOs and animal abusers and whoever else. So uh, that's just my endorsement for the comedy industry. Comedy, it's the worst. Um, but uh, I figured I'd crank this out in the morning so I had more time to 
do other things, but I still have to do making podcasts great again tonight at eight. So that's that that always haunts my Mondays. But hopefully, uh, you know, I pray not for long. Um, I think I would have already stopped doing it had my special come out when it was supposed to, or at least delayed, or at least just taken a break from making podcasts great. It's like, yeah, but if when Trump announces that he's running in 2024, um, strong consideration to bring the show back. But it's just, it's just such a chore, like carrying the weight, uh, having to constantly divide my promotion of stuff and being kind of the sole promoter of the show and sort of the sole source of political knowledge on the show. It's, 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 it's dragging. It's fucking drag. It's, we've been doing the show four years plus now, over four years. And it's like, we have a loyal, dedicated fan base, but that fan base is definitely smaller uh, than it was, and it doesn't it doesn't help that my Twitter account no longer has the same reach um, that it did. But <clears throat> it's it's boring. Um, I mean, I'm still good at it. Like that's the thing. Like every week, I'm like, oh fuck, I fucking dropped another great episode, and fans like it. But it's just it's it's sort of a reminder of how limited my comedy success has been like, like that I'm trapped in this space that I don't want to be trapped in. Like I, I thought that, you know, the improv impression skills that I've showcased on that podcast would sort of intrigue a lot of people to be like, I want to like see what else he does. He's clearly like a sort of comedy talent, not just a one trick pony. Like there's a lot to read into what I do on that show that you make somebody go, Oh, I'd like to see what other things he does, but it really hasn't translated. Um, so it's been sort of a, you know, it's, it's, it's been a nice success story, but you know, just like people, most people don't do, uh, sitcoms for, for 40 years, like, you know, a four year run feels like enough. Um, but I really want, unfortunately to still reach the fan base with the special. Like, I don't want to abandon that direct connection to thousands of fans when I need them to support you know, an incredibly important uh, endeavor for me. But I thought that was going to be out in February or around the time of billions. And then I could have just said, and, and if you hear my voice, I'm still dealing with COVID or COVID after effects. So I feel like 90% better, but still sore throat and a little drowsy and a little stuffy. So whatever, but uh, not on a ventilator, not, uh, not dying. So uh, that, that is a genuinely good thing. Um, I think. I think, I think most people would agree that's a good thing. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, it's just, oh, it, it's just, I wanted the special to be out because then I could just make a real decision of like, okay, the special got enough publicity that it's rejuvenated and brought new life and new fans to my comedy career. So of course I'm going to keep going because now there's like a new you know, and, and the more people that watch my stand-up, the more lo longevity that has. Trump is, you know, obviously, yes, he's still relevant, but obviously hardcore fans stuck stuck with it and enjoy it. But it's it also gets annoying when, like, whenever I post a joke and people will say, uh, sir, what a strong, powerful joke, sir. And I'm like, this was a joke about, like, fruits at the, at the fucking grocery store. Um, not, not Trump. Like, I don't need to be, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, like, the Trump didn't make me famous enough to have me quit my day job. Like I could have, I could quit my day job, but then I'm just spending 2020 money. I'm not spending 2022 money. I'm spending 2020 and 2021 money. And by 2026, I could be broke if, if things haven't picked up, but it's, it's just weird. Like to be, you're almost pigeonholes as a one hit wonder, but I don't, 
I don't have the the money of like other one hit wonders during that time and other other institutional um, kind of support. So it's like the worst of both worlds. It's like you know fans don't want me to do anything other than that, and then but those fans don't like support in large numbers other things I do or so it's it's just it, it's it's. A one-hit wonder when you you know if you have the number one hit song in the country and that's all you have, but that thing gets played for thirty years, you you can live off that. Um, you can't live off Trump videos for forever, and nor do I need to. But you know, nobody. I mean, and I, obviously, when I say nobody, I'm speaking in the aggregate, guys. I'm, I'm obviously saying like in the grand scheme of things, like. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's it's. I wish I could say it's been a good run or a good experience, but it but it hasn't been. And I all joking aside, and this will be a funny episode. Trust me, I have a lot of shit to complain about. That's funny, not just depressing. But overall, if I could undo it, and I I, I say this with humility for all the people that showed me support during 2020. But 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 from 20 2003, this comedy was a was a was an emotional crutch. I needed a hobby because I was depressed, and it's sunk me into much deeper depression and despondency than law school ever did. Because law school, who gives a shit? I didn't invent the law. Law is not personal to me. It was a you know a good education and could lead to a, a decent career. But comedy is very personal. Like it's my work, it's my effort, it's my life, um, and I know I'm very good at it. But every turn, every good thing has has returned a negative in in greater measure. You know, um, inability to get representation. You got to take that personally at some point when you've had so much success without representation, but nobody wants to work with you. It's obviously you're either working with an industry that's stupid or that personally doesn't like you. And either way, you you can't you can't win that. You can't win that battle. I accumulate a lot of fans, but, you know, less than, you know, less than a percentage point of that large fan base, you know, comes to shows or, or, or signs up to a Patreon, either one, you know, so, so you just have all the metrics, uh, you, you realize you, your, your biggest accomplishment is being sort of a distraction during a bad time. And of course that, that's a nice thing. You know, my friend, my friend, John always tries to console me. He goes, Hey man, there's that's nothing to sneeze at. you like, you made, you made many, many people around the country and world feel, feel, feel some happiness during a really rough time. And I go, Right. But like, I'm a comedian, not a therapy dog. And it's just weird to be like, I'm still doing comedy. I still have, I, 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 I have this like broad base of skills and, and talent that just, you know, fans and industry alike just don't, don't seem to want to engage in it. And, and it, it's hard to not take that personally. And the way to avoid that is just to go, oh, well, then I need to bounce. Um, but I can't quit yet because I made this special twice <laughs> and I have to see it through. Like, like it would be, I can't quit before I've at least given this thing that means so much to me a, a real effort. Now I know it's not going to, it's probably not going to sell. It's not going to reach as many people as I needed to. It's not even going to reach like a majority of my own fans because of algorithm issues, but it's, but I have to see it through. And by, if I quit the podcast now, well, then I'm eliminating thousands of people, a direct, a direct contact point for thousands of fans. If I quit now, I don't give a publicist a chance to get it seen and heard. If I quit now, you know, it's like maybe, 
maybe I do get more gigs. Maybe this does broaden my reach. You know, the one, the one tenth of 1% chance is, is more than zero. And if I've gone this far, then I got to see it through. But I'm obviously very pessimistic about that. And I can't, I can't wait for it to be done because either way, small chance it becomes a hit and, and, and changes my career, hopefully on a permanent, better trajectory. But if it doesn't hit, then I can just quit and be like, just, just breathe and be, be done with, with this stupid business. And, and, you know, the, the, the fact is if, if, if your comedy is not a cause for people, whether it's pandering to the left or identifying as a certain community so that your voice can be heard and your truth can be spoken, or if you're like a bitter, angry, like, uh, paranoid white guy who thinks the world is out to get them and that they're 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 being canceled and that diversity is destroying everything. Uh, by the way, on the Patreon, uh, a lot of talk about um, a specific famous comedian coming to the coming to the TikTok aid of a, of a successful but not famous comedian. Um, so if you're a Patreon person, be sure you check check that out. And if you're not a Patreon person, uh, consider it because there's some funny stuff. Uh, I'll talk about that a little later, but. Um, you know, you're either you're either um, some aggrieved white person whose ninth project didn't get picked up, and now you have an enemy in diversity and inclusion, or you're some sort of pandering person, or you're some. It's it's like it's not it's not worth it anymore. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Uh, you know, I I haven't. I always joke I haven't made a lot of friends in this business, not like enemies, but I just haven't made a lot of friends because I had a life. I couldn't I couldn't make comedy my life. I could just make stand-up comedy my job. And I worked really hard at it and did a uh, I did headliner level content production as a full-time lawyer featuring across the country as a middle act. So it's been a it's been it's been very hard um and a lot of work to to accomplish what I've done, but who at the end of the day, who cares? Most of my friends that I know from comedy are are no longer comedians because uh, they prioritized other things, which is probably why I like them as people because they were family people and they were decent people. So they didn't have the either the killer. Some of them may not have had the talent, but a lot of them probably just didn't have the the shameless killer instinct uh, to sort of abandon everything to to make it in comedy because it's not that important. Um, I thought I could do both. I thought I had the talent and the work ethic to maintain a life um, and succeed at comedy, and it seemed like it almost worked, but it didn't. Um, and you know, it's it's. Uh, I have I have I have a dozen stories of of losing friendships simply because I was too busy, um, and then those friends, you know being uh, hurt by some friends uh, listen to thoughts and prayers if you're interested in that story um but comedy has not been worth it and every day i'm just sort of further reminded that you know like when i talk about clubs it's one of those things where you go um when you try to build personal relationships they tell you it's all about business and when you try to be professional and business like they tell you well it's about relationships there's always an there's always an excuse for why you can't work but the truth is get an agent get a manager become big on TikTok and or, or and and either become somebody who never stops talking about their identity and this isn't about this isn't about established people i think the landscape has changed very recently so that industry has become increasingly lazy and looking for the fast buck so Either I should tweet everything as I joke on half blackface, 
either I should tweet everything going as 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 a half Haitian man, as the nephew of black women, I think that I like pop tarts, um, or just become uh, somebody who is who is willing to die on the hill. That anytime I'm as a white person, anytime uh, I don't get an opportunity, it's cancel culture and right wing culture warriors uh, should rally behind my comedy because it's important. And that's the funny thing to me. There are funny people on that side, but it is funny how um, they don't see that they're going for the sort of like, uh, it's like an angry version of serious comedy. Like if you don't support me, then you're down with cancel. Anyway, the point is, God, let's just get half blackface done. I was sent clips. I was sent uh, some excerpts from my recording, which obviously, given what's happened with that, I don't have the fight in me to just go, why are you sending me excerpts? Is there a reason why I don't have my full special? Like, because after what happened with the first one, um, you know, Reagan said, trust but verify. I go, don't trust and verify. Never trust and verify when it comes to this project. I will verify and then I will still not trust. Um... So I don't know when this is going to be ready. I don't know when it's coming out. But um, God, I, I at this point, I, I hate that I feel this way about the project. But but at this point, I'm just like, let's just get it over with, which is not the way I want to feel about the most important and in one of the show's cases, the best thing I've ever done. Um, and But that's another example of what this business does. Like it ta- it, it, it's, it's a microcosm of taking something that I enjoyed and loved and through just routine disrespect – of my time, of my talents, of my efforts, um, you, you end up not liking it. You end up going like, what the fuck? Like I want, like get it over with is not what you're supposed to think about like the crowning achievement of your career. But that's what this business does. That's what the people, the character of the people in this business end up doing to you is, is making you just resent the effort you put in instead of being proud of the effort. You just end up resentful. Um, and that's not a way to live a life. Like, and I think it's only getting worse. That's the thing. Uh, these, these are not getting better. These sort of trends. Um, you know, the, the, the more people that do comedy and the more people that flood social media, the more shortcuts industry looks for, uh, to just promote, get, make a quick buck, et cetera. So it's, it's, um, you know, maybe if I'd been born 10 years earlier, I might've just snuck in with, with sort of the, the traditional stand-up comedy, but maybe not. Maybe I just wouldn't have made it then either. Um, but you know, what are you going to do except try to assess your life and, uh, try to find a, a new path to happiness. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I don't like being a lawyer at all. Um, Maybe if I was doing Atticus Finch shit, I'd feel more proud of myself, but I don't, I don't really want to be a lawyer, but it's, it's the fastest path for me to make a decent salary with benefits. So what are you going to do? You got to live, you got to pay bills. But, and then I think, uh, I'd like to write a book, either a semi-fictionalized account of my life or maybe just a memoir. And I know it's, I, I hate saying that cause that sounds, but it's just because I think it'd be interesting. Um, but what do I know? Um, I think it'd be funny and I think it'd be interesting. Um, but then I have to consider, uh, do I want to really like struggle and fail at another endeavor? Like when I've invested so much sunk costs into comedy, do I really want to become, and then I thought, well, what if I just write it and self publish it and just sell it to fans and who gives a shit? And I go, well, because it's going to take a lot of work and effort. So I'd like to be paid for it if possible, like not just sell it to, uh, 113 fans. 
if I'm lucky. I don't know why they'd buy the book. Uh, only only 78 signed for my Patreon, so I don't know why I'd sell more copies of a book than a $4 Patreon. But anyway, guys, um, also what really irked me last night, now we're off. We're off comedy. We got We purged it. Sometimes we save it for the end. We lure you in with jokes, and sometimes we just say, uh, to get to the, to get to dessert, you got to eat your comedy broccoli, and that was that was comedy broccoli. That was comedy broccoli stalks. You didn't even get broccoli flowers with that one. You got stalks only. But thanks for listening. But I, I posted a joke yesterday. I saw Baron Trump was trending because he's a six foot seven, sixteen year old, and he was in a suit with his hair slicked, and he was standing with like some four foot eleven woman. He looked like a Guinness Book of World Records sort of tallest man alive photo. And, <laughs> excuse me, COVID, um, he, so I just wrote, Baron Trump is actually Luka Doncic. Now, Luka Doncic is a Slovenian, uh, ba- young Slovenian basketball star in the NBA. I believe he's 22 years old. He's like a perennial MVP candidate. He made first team all NBA. And looking at Baron Trump, it was kind of like, well, Baron Trump's six foot seven. And, and if you told me he was Luka Doncic's younger brother, I'd be like, yeah. That, I mean, that's funny, but sure, that absolutely could be the case. And a lot of people were laughing and liking the thing. And then, of course, some hero, some hero that follows me, writes, this is not cool. Like, leave the kid alone or whatever. And I said, what are you, what are you talking? He, 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 I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I said, do you think if I wanted to fuck with Baron, if I wanted to insult Baron Trump, do you think I'm like coy and afraid of saying fuck this future hooker killer? Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'd be fine to say something about Baron Trump. Like, I just, I'm not, I don't want to, and I'm not. This was just about him bearing a resemblance to a Slovenian basketball star who happens to be also the same nationality as Baron's mom. Like, really, like a G-level joke. It's just a, hey, look, he's actually, he's so tall, he's the famous basketball player that looks like him. So, obviously, other people who I can't be responsible for are punching up my joke. And when I say punching up, I mean punching down. So many people, I think, just want to be friends or followers of a comedian so they can, like, piggyback off of their material and test their comedy chops. And 999 out of 1,000, it's a true fail. It's like you're making my joke worse, but you don't know the pro- This is another thing. This is the problem with comedy also. If I know more than you, then you don't even get that my joke is better than yours. Like I called, I said, happy Nick Cannon day. Nick Cannon is the, the, the current standard bearer. He's this generation's Sean Kemp. He is the standard bearer for why is this dude having so many fucking kids with so many women? Now, Herschel Walker has been in the news recently for having two secret quote unquote kids. But Nick Cannon has had like nine kids in the last like three years um, with like eight women. And so Nick Cannon is the better reference. But then people going more like Herschel Walker Day. And I'm like, I don't even respond. I'm just like, no, like I, I get it. You know that story, right? You know that story. But your your joke doesn't even make sense when you when you take raw numbers. Your joke isn't as good. But maybe you're not as familiar with Nick Cannon or you follow politics, but not Nick Cannon's social media life. So you thought hers was. But, but as typical of my comment, like people don't get my jokes. Like the fight I got into before I had to block a guy over my Malcolm Gladwell impression. Like he hadn't seen a picture of Malcolm Gladwell in like six years. So he assumed Malcolm Gladwell still had the giant fro from 2008. 
and then was mad at me and 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 he projected onto the world his lack of knowledge he was like well if nobody gets what malcolm gladwell looks like now it's a pretty shitty joke and i'm like no one you sir you fucking idiot you you don't get it and that's what we do i think as a society now whether it's comedy or other things it's it's it's, it's the trump effect where he goes you know, not a lot of people know this. Excuse me, not a lot of people know this. And it's like, nope, a lot of people know this. You don't. And to, to, to satiate your own insecurity, you project your stupidity and lack of knowledge onto the world so that you are, if not great, at least just emblematic of society so that someone can't shame you with knowledge because, well, you're a nerd. Nobody knows that. I'm, I'm one of the people. I'm representing the people. So if you if you know Malcolm Gladwell got a haircut in 2015 and I don't, well, you're the asshole guy who's more informed on the jokes he's making. And that's that's sort of, you know, that that is I think a cancer running through our general society, the lack the the disrespect for expertise, the um the 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 you know, instead of I think therefore it's it, instead of I think therefore I am, it's like I think I think, therefore I am. Um, I think I'm thinking. Uh, I don't know, therefore I am. Uh, but it's, it's, so this guy goes back and then he writes to me, he's like, look at your comments. And I go, well, I can't be held responsible for the people who are constantly writing weak jokes on top of my jokes. And he goes, look at the comments. The, co the subtext is clear. And you yourself said it, that he looks like this basketball player from his mother's home country. So this guy was suggesting that I was suggesting that Baron Trump was Luka Doncic's son. Like I was calling him like a product of some affair. Luka Doncic is 22. Baron Trump is 16. So for this guy, I am implying that Luka Doncic fucked Melania Trump at five years old. And then had a, you know, nine months later, she gave birth to, to, to Baron, who is actually Luka Doncic's kid. It's so stupid. It's so dumb, that leap. Like, you think that I'm making a joke about Melania Trump raping a five-year-old? And that, that guy is now an NBA player and he's the father of Baron Trump. What the fuck are you talking? But this guy probably doesn't know. Maybe he thinks Luka Doncic is, is some 50-year-old NBA coach. But, but you not knowing, you're now ruining my joke and making me a villain because you don't know. So your lack of information is penalizing my joke. And that's just another thing. Like, I mean, I can go back. I've given these examples before. When I made a joke about... Um, at Breast Cancer Awareness Month in the NFL, um, like a month after or a few weeks after, no, it was like a week or two after Ben Roethlisberger had been accused of, of rape. And I just said, and it was on like the front page of papers. And I said in Hoboken at a show, I said, hey, NFL, um, instead of, and I know my friend Patrick from law school loved this joke. I don't think it was the first time I told the joke, but it had new relevance because of the Ben Roethlisberger story. And I said, hey, NFL, um, instead of wearing pink to raise awareness for breast cancer awareness, you know what would be even better? If you could have your players stop raping people with breasts. And some girl in the back was like, uh, and I was like, what? And she was like, no, continue with your sport jokes, like condescending. I was like, oh, it's on the front page of papers. Like, like you don't. I'm sorry that you don't read the news or watch the news or something, but like this is not some obscure big guy making sport joke 
this is like current events. Like it's very relevant. And, and, and oh, by the way, lots of people were just laughing at the joke. So do you not, did that not give you a context clue? And we are so, and it only has enhanced since then. We are so, we are, we have become so self-centered and narcissistic and knowledge is no longer sort of a coveted thing and it's no longer, there's no longer general knowledge. We exist in sort of our own cultivated social media cell phone bubbles where we interact with the content and the ideas that we want. And this isn't just about politics. I think this is even bigger than politics that we, you know, that people can make sort of faces when you know something better than them. And even in the face of laughter, even when a club is, it's the same thing that happened in Long Island where a woman ruined my tape of my show. And I was very proud. I, I think I talked about it, but I was extremely proud of that set because I went into fucking MAGA country with a crowd that was like 80% MAGA. And when I say that, I'm saying that based on informal polls of people cheering for Trump and like two tables going, we're not all Trump. And then like the crowd going, boo. So to win over that crowd, to wow that crowd with my skills while not backing down an inch, like not hiding the fact that I'm a Biden guy and I think Trump's an asshole, to win over that crowd was, 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 a, was just a proud moment for my skills. But as the crowd is laughing at a joke, the, the, the piece of shit woman who was sitting next to where I set up my camera typed on her phone, you suck, and held it in front of the camera during the joke. And I was just like, not only is that like a cowardly, cunty move, but you're also doing it when most of your MAGA people are laughing. Like you're literally interrupting a crowd laughing to register that you think I suck. If the crowd, I, I would be less mad if the crowd had been booing me. If I had just had no success with this crowd. I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, what am I going to do with that tape anyway? But it's this, it's this idea of like, people are so fucking delusional now. That they can ignore. This is why January 6th is going to go nowhere. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done. Of course it should be done. But we are in this, this phase now where people can actually ignore the facts in front of them because their, over, their personal preference is like more important than the fucking facts. Like at some point it's going to be like, I think the sky is green. Well, no, everybody's saying it's blue. No, but he, Sure. Like, I should listen to them. Like, science and people have gotten a lot wrong. But the idea of, like, booing a comedian, like, telling me I suck while the crowd of like-minded people is laughing. Like, maybe it's you. But nobody ever sort of says, maybe it's me anymore. Like, no matter how absurd, it's never me. And that's one of the things I think shows growth in my comedy career. And I talked about me being unlikable for whatever reason a few weeks ago in one of the best episodes, I think, of this podcast. Um... I forget the title, but it was a few, a couple of weeks ago. But um, that's one of the things I've had to come to grips with, with, where I go, I think I'm right. I think I have enough objective measures to, to indicate that I'm a talented comedian and I've had some success. But when it comes to getting the success I want and the career I want, I, it is not happening. I don't think it's going to happen. And then you just have to say, well, for whatever reason, maybe I'm not morally wrong or maybe I'm not untalented, but whatever I bring to the table, whatever the total packages that I represent, um, maybe it is me. Maybe without saying I'm a bad person or wrong, but maybe whatever I'm doing is wrong. However I'm approaching comedy, however I decided to prioritize writing and performing and, and working hard, I, 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 I didn't put the hustle in in other areas and I didn't I wasn't willing to kiss ass or, or do things like that. And, and 
I have to own that at some point. So whatever. But but yeah, they, they, so we went back and forth on that, and and I just I was just it was just the Luka Doncic thing. It just bothered me because I was just like, I'm a comedian. I'm not I'm not your opportunity to be a hero. Just like I don't want to be people's opportunity to punch up jokes. Like I always hate like like eh, I like I said, there are a few people. That, that that have some comedic skills that comment on my jokes. And occasionally, like I, I remember the amount of emails I received in 2020 of people writing me horrifically unfunny things going, and you can use that if you want. Yeah, no thanks. I once got one idea from somebody and I wrote back to them and I was like, this is actually really funny, parentheses. You can't imagine how many fucking unfunny things I get. So I mean it when I say this is funny. I'm actually going to use this. And I think I actually made a video based on like somebody's like idea to me. But... That's that was like one out of like three hundred emails. <laughs> the rest of it was people who clearly don't actually respect what I do, or else they wouldn't be fucking writing unfunny things and then condescendingly telling me you can use that. Oh, I can. I can make unfunny things. You've given me permission to use your unfunny words to make unfunny content. Thank you. Ble- many blessings upon you and your family. You fucking idiot. But anyway, guys, now I feel purged of all my rage. So let's talk about Lightyear. Uh, Disney, who basically, um, I, I think South Park did it best when they showed Steven Spielberg, I think, raping Indiana Jones when they came out with the fourth Indiana Jones. And, the, and, and I think there was also a Star Wars element to that, where it was just basically like, you're going to shame and destroy in the most vile ways good pop culture by by just being gluttonous with it for for to make money um because indiana jones 4 was 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 one of the worst movies i've ever seen um i think i threw it out of my i bought the indiana jones like blu-ray pack a few several years ago and i think i may have thrown out crystal skull because i was like no i don't i don't want that anywhere near my home um but what Disney has done, and it, it goes, I think, once again, there's a theme here. I, I'm sorry, I hope you made it through the 20 minutes of dreary JL bitching about his career again. Um, but between the Luka Doncic stuff and, the, and, and what I was just talking about, and then you look at the broader culture, the broader pop culture. Um, what Disney is doing is, is like, vulgar. Um, I'm sorry. Like, like there's going to come a day where people don't revere the original Star Wars. They're going to look at the first three Star Wars, like, you know, uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. The way I look at Police Academy 1, where I go, it's a really good comedy. But it's hard to convince people that the Police Academy movies aren't a joke because they made 19 of them and most of them are low-budget, atrocious pieces of shit. But, like, Police Academy 1, the reason it got so many movies is Police Academy 1 is a legitimately funny fucking comedy. Um, really good, but it gets lost in the in the the bullshit. And now those original Star Wars, it started with the next three, which were terrible. And other than Rogue One, <laughs> I haven't watched Obi Wan yet, but I thought Boba Fett sucked something fierce. Um, I only watched two episodes of Boba Fett. I thought it was terrible. Um, Mandalorian, I think, is overrated. It's, they've they've invested in it. I appreciate the budget. I appreciate the the craft. Um, but as a, just a narrative story, I don't think it's that good. I don't. I think it's you know. I think people are starved for just fun stuff and 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 gluttony. But 
I think, you know, you can't fault Disney for, for what they did, and I've said this before, for what they did with the Marvel series was incredible. You know, beginning with Iron Man and ending with Endgame is one of the most impressive feats in, in entertainment history. So I'm, I'm giving the due right there. But then I'm just kind of over it. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a lot. Can we move on to the next story, the next generation, the next um, creative endeavor that, that might be the next thing? You know, we, we went, you know, just, and, and the answer is no. The answer is like, we're going to continue to maul this content because it's a, it's, it's a stock. Disney is a stock. It's not an art company. It's a business. And I get that. But you you I, I laugh sometimes in a morbid way where I go, I'm gonna die and there's gonna be like ninety Marvel movies after I'm dead. Like 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 I think we're on that pace where it's like I'm gonna be seventy three and going, Wow, then the the three hundred and seventy seventh Marvel movie is out. Uh do I have to keep seeing them? Can I take a break? And then I'm gonna die at seventy or eighty or fifty two or ninety one and there's still gonna be like a, a, a 94th Star Wars series and a, a 550th Marvel movie and you're like I mean, Jesus Christ are we ever like what is going on did anybody just see you just just milk that you just fucking keep keep milking these money machines like to the point where art is just dead and I you know me I'm not Mr. I'm an artist I think that no I can be cynical like everybody else, but at some point you just go, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, and to me, watching Boba Fett was just, I am going to watch Obi-Wan because I do want to see it. And I've heard very good things. I, I know Rod of the Black Eyed Tips uttered, uh, uh, um, he said, I don't want to say it, but I'm getting Rogue One vibes. For me, Rogue One is like the only Star Wars thing since the original trilogy that is worthy of the original trilogy. Now, not everything has to be a classic or great, but Rogue One is legitimately great. But they've made, that's one out of like 20 things they've made with Star Wars since the original Star Wars. That's not a good percentage. Like, a few good things, one classic, and a bunch of filler that people just scarf down. Like, like we're now culturally McDonald's. I like McDonald's. I don't eat McDonald's more than three times a year. But I enjoy it. I'm not going to say, like, I'm not here to say McDonald's. Like, I remember I dated somebody who was very condescending about McDonald's. Like, my dad's a doctor, and he would never have us have McDonald's. And I was just like, okay, well, my parents were broke, and it was fun having a happy meal. And I enjoy McDonald's to this day. I will once in a while eat McDonald's. There. So I'm not like, oh, McDonald's, how dare you? But at some point, art shouldn't just be McDonald's. Um... I, I know, I know, a lot of people love this shit, but, but what I was happy, a little schadenfreude, I was happy to see Lightyear was a relative bust. Because I watched the preview for Lightyear and I said, first of all, no, not interested. And I thought to myself, um, this doesn't look as good visually. It doesn't even look like, it looks like they're trying, like this is, Lightyear feels like the equivalent of, I'm dating myself, but in the early 90s, if there was a hit animated movie, they'd then do the money grab. They did this with Aladdin. Um, they'd do the straight to DVD cheap version sequel, but because there was such a thirst for it. I owned it. I owned like the return of Jafar or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, and it stunk. 
But I wanted to get it because I was fucking 13 years old and I loved Aladdin. And, and I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's get The Return of Jafar. Boy, does this movie stink. But that's, you could tell already. You were like, well, it doesn't have Robin Williams and it's not going to be as good. But I still want it. But that's okay. I was like a preteen, early teen um, who liked cartoon movies. But that's what Lightyear looked to me. Like, Lightyear looked like it should have been a straight-to-DVD on-demand release in terms of the animation quality compared to other Pixar movies. And it was a blatant money grab. It doesn't... I, I, I'm not going to see it. And I just thought to myself, this makes no sense. It doesn't make sense to have... Oh, for Christ's sake. Cookie, shut the fuck up, please. Thank you. Sorry if your kids were listening to that. I'm sorry for that display of vulgarity. Anyway, fucking light year, am I right? Um, but I just could tell. I was like, this is a money grab. This doesn't even make sense. Like, I don't need to see it to be like, no, in, in Toy Story canon, this makes no sense. There's a movie about a fictional character. that. Be- anyway, and, and I know people will probably, some, some will blame it on like there's an LGBTQ moment. I, I genuinely think there are enough people like me who are like, I love Pixar. But guess what, Pixar? You've been fucking up. And this one reeked of cheap money grab. It reeked of it. But here's the thing. Let's do a little history of Pixar, folks. Pixar, at one point, was was the greatest movie studio ever birthed by man. They had such a run of original, brilliant movies. Just hit after hit. And I mean funny. The animation was great. Toy Story, to me, it was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in the theater. I love Toy Story. I love every single Toy Story. I own the Toy Stories. And I was a critic of them making Toy Story 4 because I was like, but they nailed it with Toy Story 3. Why do you have to go on from that? Like, why can't you just let it be? And they made me shut up because Toy Story 4 was, I thought, amazing. I choked up when, spoiler, when, when Buzz and Woody hug and then Buzz gives him that extra hug that, like, they're hugging, but then it's like, no, I really like it. Like it was the hug that said, I love you. No, I really love you. And it was like, oh, oh boy, this is a good movie. Did they, uh, is it dry in here? Is the air conditioning on too strong? Because I'm, I'm like, oh, my eyes, fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I was, I was blown away by how good Toy Story 4 was because there's probably an ownership among the Toy Story writers that was like, if they're going to pay us a jillion dollars to make a fourth after we perfectly ended it, we have to make this one per. We have to make it even more. We have to be as perfect. We can't just do a money grab movie because we we own the Toy Story. The Toy Story franchise is what began is is like the the George Washington of Pixar. Um. But then they went on this run. Then Disney bought Pixar or reacquired Pixar. And I remember, I think they did it in 2007, but the first movie they greenlit, because Pixar movies take years to make because of all the the writing and the computer work, the first thing that the new Disney Pixar greenlit was Cars 2, roundly considered the worst Pixar movie. But they did it because they were like, well, Cars was good, but more importantly, lunchboxes and toys and car toys and car rides. And so they immediately prioritized the merchandise over over the material and they pay they made they made one of the worst if not the worst pixar movies they still made a cars 3 which apologists with cars 3 was pretty good cars 3 was was unnecessary and like like what are you doing 
Just let's forget the Cars franchise, for Christ's sake. But they have been on a run. The last great, to me, Coco, which came out in 2017. Um, and I have a long blog about it on the website. And my theory about Coco, I think, you know, I had, I had friends mock it who believe, you know, that racism is a myth or something. Um, I'm exaggerating. But my theory on Coco was I go to see Coco, which is their first Mexican-themed movie. And I didn't – it it was not yet. It was at the beginning of Trump's reign. And it was ha- it was obviously written and made during Obama's presidency. It didn't feel like a cultural cash grab. It just felt like somebody presented this great story, <coughs> and it happened to you know it happened to be a, a a steeped in Mexican tradition, the Day of the Dead. But what they made was a, was a fucking masterpiece, a cultural masterpiece, a hu- humor. The animation was so good, like it, it was like the peak of Pixar animation. Like compare what Coco looks like to what Lightyear looks like and tell me they didn't do the animation on the cheap for Lightyear. But Coco is a heartfelt, I hate to sound like a cheesy critic, it's like a feast for the eyes and the ears and the funny bone. It's just amazing. (coughs) It didn't feel like somebody said, and this is my argument on comedy all the time, that if you're willing to work, if you're willing to do work and research and enjoy and... and, and, um, uh, uh, drown yourself in content and material and artists, you can find diversity that has A-plus quality. <laughs> There's so many people doing so many things <coughs> that if you're willing to do the work, you'll find... And I felt like Coco was just an undeniably brilliant piece of art that happened to be, and I could be wrong, they may have had a diversity push. It wouldn't shock me if they did, but it, it didn't have a pandering feel to it. And the product was amazing. It's, it's, it, is, it is Mount Rushmore Pixar for me, without question. Um, and I haven't had the guts to watch it since like relatives of mine passed away. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's an amazing piece of art. So they make Coco in 2017, Toy Story 4, I think defied what it should have been by being great because it was probably greenlit as a a cash grab, but it was great. But since then, onward, great ending, mediocre. Uh, Turning red, I won't watch. I can tell I'm not going to like it. I I think it looks mediocre and uh, Righteous Girlfriend didn't even enjoy it that much. Her you know, eight-year-old niece enjoyed it, which is great. But that's not what you expect from Pixar, really. You expect that multi-layered genius. Um, what else did they do? Luca, I thought, was not good. Uh, Encanto was just Disney, but I thought that stunk. Um, so I feel like they've been on this weird streak of mediocrity, which is which one mediocre Pixar movie is, like, appalling, but, like, when you're on a streak of mediocre movies, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? You are, you are, you're ruining this this franchise. You're you're like drowning this franchise in bullshit. Um, and I looked at Lightyear and I said, no thanks. And I'm glad to see it's 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 been a it's been a it hasn't been a success. Oh, but my theory on Coco, sorry, <clears throat> was it was when at the time it came out. Um, it was the third lowest grossing, adjusted for inflation, the third lowest grossing Pixar movie of all time out of like 24 movies or whatever. It was, it was, it was like number 22. 
And my theory was, well, we're a country that just elected Donald Trump, um, whose platform began with calling Mexicans rapists and drug dealers. And of course, my cynical center right uh, friend was like, you really think? And I was like, why isn't that? Why isn't that at least plausible that a country that just elected a president whose pillar, one of his pillars of running was that he was basically anti-Mexican, Coco is not going to appeal to maybe many of the people who might take their kids, right-wing people who might take their kids to see Toy Story or The Incredibles. And on top of that, furthering my idea is that Pixar already knew that they were dealing with a potentially discriminatory uh, audience uh, in terms of the American public because they added – they usually – Pixar movies have like a three-minute intro movie like where they kind of showcase their new directors who will then maybe move on to do the feature films. And a lot of those shorts win Oscars. Um, but instead of a short, it was a 22-minute Frozen – basically a sitcom episode of Frozen, 22 minutes – and they were advertising on the posters like, hey, come see Coco. Also, new short film of Frozen, because Frozen was a, a big hit for Disney. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I, I can't blame Disney for this because I think they're saying uh, a lot of these white people we polled won't come see a Mexican cartoon. So can we give them the whitest shit ever to entice them to come? I don't blame Disney for that. I, I think Disney probably made a calculated decision and it still didn't work because Coco, despite being one of the three or four best Pixar movies ever, is also at the time was one of the three lowest grossing Pixar movies ever. Um, and obviously Toy Story 4 grossed more than it. Um, the pandemic hits a lot of these movies, but I don't know. I mean, Lightyear might not make as much and I think that's a good correction I think at least the audience is looking now unfortunately would some of the audience be like they have LGBTQ woke issues I'm not ca I think those people suck fuck them but there's also people like me who are like I can just tell it's not as good I can tell this is a cash grab by Pixar so I don't need to go to a theater and risk illness and watch people text for an hour and a half to, to watch a mediocre Pixar you know the fifth mediocre Pixar movie in a row um but I just, it makes me wonder, like, culturally, like, are, are, we're turning art into fast food. I'm sure that's always been an issue. Like, I'm sure, but it's, but it's appalling to see it in real time when you can live, when you've lived from Star Wars as this revered trinity of sci-fi into this, <coughs> it would be like going, having your favorite restaurant be Peter Luger's and then by the time you're, you know, from, from at 15, it's your favorite restaurant. And then at 55, you see Peter Luger's like, you know, being sold in microwavable trays in the supermarket. That's what it feels like. And Pixar is, is the same thing. And Disney, I mean, good God. I mean, yes, they, they've done a lot of great things and, 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 and but you have so much money. Do, is, do you have to sacrifice the quality? Like you have more money than fucking God. You're the biggest media company. Why not? I don't know. Just, just maybe more original stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but it's just, it's a, it's a gluttonous avalanche of mediocre content now. And it's, it's one thing if it's just mediocre. Like, like for instance, Tyler Perry has never done, you know, anything but mediocre things. But that, that's the brand. But it would be like if you handed Tyler Perry the August Wilson plays and said, we want five new August Wilson plays, Tyler. Can you do that? We're opening, 
August Wilson Studios, and then all of a sudden, the next five plays under the August Wilson brand are like garbage Tyler Perry plays. You'd be like, uh, the August Wilson brand is starting to suffer. Oh, but they're making money, so let's, uh, Tyler, we want you to make 15 more August Wilson plays. So by the time we're all in our 80s, August Wilson has his original 10 plays that get made him a Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, theater legend, but also these 20, 24 extra plays that are associated with the brand that you go, uh, some of the Tyler, uh, some of the August Wilson plays are good, but you know, mostly it's kind of garbage. How tragic would that be? But I feel like I'm witnessing that happen to Pixar and Star Wars in real time, and most people don't care. Um, they just, they just want to be spoon fed some, 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 you know, the opiate of the masses. We've given up, we've given up religion for, um, gluttonous amounts of mediocre content. So yay society. Anywho guys, that was a rant on light year and caping for Coco. But uh, Coco is so good, though. If you haven't seen Coco, stop being racist and just go see one of the greatest Pixar movies ever. Um, God, it's so good. It's just, and it's 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 Pixar at its best on every level. The animation is just probably the maybe the best I've ever seen, and it's just it's just awesome. Um, oh, as a reminder, guys, uh, if you want to hear me be funny and not ranting about society. Um, Boston, July 15th. Two shows at City Winery. I hope you've gotten your tickets, and if you haven't gotten them yet, I hope you get them right now. Um, I have sent out notices to my alumni associations, uh, to my fans on my newsletter. I've posted on social media, and those posts have been seen by almost almost 3% of my followers have seen my social media posts about my Boston shows, so that's, that bodes well. Um, now, now, 20% of my fans will see when I leave Boston. And I'll get the, you were in Boston, what? And then I'm going to just block them. And then they'll email me and go, I'm not sure why you blocked me. I'm a big fan. And I'm like, were you at the show? No. Were you aware of my show? No. Do you subscribe to my newsletter or listen to my podcast where you can learn about the show? No. Okay. I don't know if you're a big fan. <laughs> um, but obviously, uh, I, I filmed yesterday something that's really funny, uh, sort of sort of weird. Um, but when I was at my mom's uh, house a couple months ago, she gave me, she's just trying to clear out everything from, from her house slowly that belonged to me and my brother but she had a collection of my sixth grade artwork and i looked through it and was laughing and i thought let me do an art show for my fans so um going up on the patreon later this week will be uh, a 20 minute video of me doing an art show in my home office of my sixth grade work and it is as disturbing as it is hilarious because there is literally one wing of the homemade studio is called the violent wing which is depictions of violence and murder um it was a simpler time 1991 where you didn't get reported to school counseling if your artwork was mostly violence um so it's a very funny it's just so if you are a patreon person i hope you look forward to that and if you're not um you know i'm doing a lot of sketch videos i'm posting like basically almost a bonus podcast a week at this point cuz i'm bored but uh and those range from very cheerful to uh, not so much but i spill some i, I really uh th this week's was not funny but it was just talking about uh specifics about um some comedians you know whining about um how netflix won't give certain people things because you know why um, so it's a, it's a good one. It's not a lot of them have been really really funny. The bonuses, but that one was uh, not as funny, but but good I think. Um, but after July fifteenth, I have no gigs on the schedule because um, I sent out my emails last week, 
Um, I got two responses saying we don't have gigs for you and then no one else responded. Um, so, you know, just to, just to, I explain this in more detail on the Patreon, but this is, you know, that's the harsh truth for everybody who thinks I'm opting not to be successful. Um, if no agent will rep you, if no agent will meet with you, if no agent will return your emails or phone calls, despite personal entreaties from friends with connections, and I'm saying this has happened eight to ten times now over the course of, of the last year and a half, and then clubs that you have relationships with or would like relationships with, if none of them reply to your emails for gigs or offer you gigs, and your YouTube channel and your podcast don't get seen by as many people because your social media reach has decreased by 66%, there is nothing left to do except you just you can complain and fight the good fight knowing that you're going to lose or you can try to enjoy your life and say I guess it's not going to happen for whatever reason the reasons at some point don't matter what matters is the the stark fact that it's not going to happen um so right now I have no gigs after Boston and I've been trying to get gigs for for I've been emailing for gigs for about 4 of the last 6 months and no one has um given me any shows so um, it, it, you know, I, that's it, right? I, I don't, I, you know, if you don't have an agent and clubs don't respond to your emails and your fans either don't see or don't care for your content beyond like whatever pops up in their feed without any effort, then, then you're not a comedian anymore. Like you, you, I don't want to be a comedian in spirit. Like my heart, in my heart, I'm a comedian. I want comedian to be my profession. And if it can't be, I don't want it to be my downfall. I don't want it to be my enemy. I just don't want it to be. I don't want it to be in my life. Uh, so that's that's that. And I want to end with, uh, obviously I end with some reviews usually, but I also want to talk about racism, guys. And if you've made it this far, good. Thank you. I appreciate it. But um, I saw, and I can't remember if I discussed this, but I saw an article in the New York Star-Ledger uh, late last week about like some parents and some school districts suing the school board uh, about critical race theories. They, they, and they were, you know, the typical complaints. They're teaching our white kids that they're racist and that they shouldn't to be ashamed and to feel bad about who they are. And I have a rule of thumb. If you are a white parent suing your school board to prevent them from learning critical race theory, your kids almost certainly need to learn critical race theory. Like your, like if you are that passionate about being a scared white person, your kids are almost certainly growing up in a, a racially hostile environment. Like there's no, there's no like scholars suing going, it's not that I don't agree. I think we, I just don't think eighth graders should be learning it in this way. No, these are not nuanced people. These are paranoid Trump white people who are just like, they're learning that white people are bad. Yeah. They, they, like don't conflate learning the past that white people were bad with like your, them telling your eighth grade son that he's bad. But that does remind me, ironically, of my nephew enduring racial slurs on his soccer team. Various soccer teams in New Jersey since he's about 10 years old. Um, and I, I thought to myself, 
isn't that funny? Like he didn't want to report things because he didn't want the smoke. He didn't want to be that kid who got so-and-so expelled. And that it's a sad thing. These parents want to shelter their kids from, from anything that might make them feel bad about their ancestors or the country's history. But on the flip side, my nephew is afraid of being ostracized for calling out blatant, real racism. And I thought to myself, I was thinking of my family history, and I, 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 my nephew thinks it's hilarious, but he's not old enough to consent to me doing this on, like, on a special. But I said, when you turn 18, I'll do this in a special, when you can, when you are, uh, when you can give permission, <laughs> when I don't have to seek your parents' permission to talk about your life on stage. But it was one of those things where I go, in 1971, my parents went to the Poconos. They had a reservation, and uh, they tried to turn them away saying they no longer had any reservations because when they showed up, it was a black guy and a white lady. And I thought, you know, the joke being, oh, well, that was 1971. We were a different time. It was a different country back then. You know, we've, we've advanced. We've moved on. And then I move on to, like, all the racist things that I've heard and seen in my life. And I, the, the biggest example is Spring Break 2001, which is on both the album and the special taping. Um, I don't want to spoil the bit, but basically um, about to hook up with a woman who then reveals herself, thinking I'm obviously some sort of Italian from the north, um, reveals herself to be a, uh, a vir virulent racist, um, thinking she could, I guess, bond with me on spring break over her dislike of black people. And But I go, well, that was 2001. Yeah, that was pre-9-11. We became a different country. We became more close together. Uh, stories uh, of my sister-in-law, an accomplished uh, petite black woman, not being able to catch cabs in Washington, D.C., Chocolate City. Not because necessarily she was a threat, but because the, the stereotype among drivers was that, oh, the black woman won't tip, so we're just not going to pick her up. But that was before Obama got elected, folks. We, we became a different nation. We eliminated racism in 2008. Uh, and then I move on to all the stories, I, all the things I've heard in my life, all those slurs and people thinking that uh, they have a friendly ear right up to the pub near my apartment where the man referred to three African-American teenagers as orangutans, um, thinking, I guess, me and my girlfriend were, were, were you know, were, were brethren and sistren and MAGA, MAGA nation. Um, and then you get, uh, to my nephew, uh, being on text chains where uh, anti-Jewish slurs and anti-black slurs are being used and him being called, uh, slurs, um, by, uh, you know, non, let's say non-black people of color, kids of color, uh, and, uh, white kids just either saying them or, or not stepping in. And him, uh, speaking out and saying he didn't like that and that he wants to stop and it not stopping. But that was March of 2022, and we're a totally different country now. And he, my nephew laughed at that because he thought that, you know, what I basically did was, and what I would say to people who always think race is overblown, I say, okay, so I'm from a blended family. I have a black foreign dad. Him and my mom were, were victims is a strong word, obviously, but, you know, in a broad sense, yes, victims of racism plenty of times. Um, they were obviously on the forefront, uh, of, of many things, but they were, but it, you know, people would go and that's terrible. And I acknowledge that, but you can't say we're not a different country. And then I would go, okay, but on spring break, um, you know, I'm having random people say I, I've all my life, I've had people just comfortable saying racist or bigoted things to me, 
okay, like, what do you, what, like, am I lying? Or is it just, am I the most unlucky? And maybe I am the most unlucky person if you've been listening to my comedy career. Am I the most unlucky person who just happens to always be around people who want to share racist views? Relative, relatively speaking, I'm obviously not walking around every day hearing racism, but I, <clears throat> I've accumulated hundreds of examples <laughs> in my life. Is that a coincidence? Okay. Um, we elected Donald Trump an out and out racist as president in 2016. Does that not speak, you know, does it not speak that the election of a black man led to the election of a racist white man? Does, does that not make you think that we took a step back or that there is a large percentage of people still who believe that a black man in power was a threat and that black people get too much stuff, etc.? And my sister-in-law not catching cabs, I guess that's maybe just a coincidence, right? You know, and me being in a cab at a wedding in Richmond, Virginia, and having a woman refer to a black guy as a jigaboo in front of me, is that, the you know, just, you know, that was 2007. It's not ancient history. Um, and then my nephew um, being called racial slurs, uh, you know, at the age of 10 by a teammate. And then the cop father of the of the teammate when my, you know, brother and, and sister-in-law approached that person to have a discussion, uh, you know, because you're not blaming the 10-year-old at that age. That's the thing. If you bring that up to a parent, you're not saying the 10-year-old the is at fault, but not really. That's the parent. That's the house that teaches you that that's okay to speak. And then sort of a denial where it's like, no, 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 he didn't mean, oh, well, yeah, you have to deny it because if you admit it, then you're admitting you are fostering a racist environment and speaking like that. He's not a 25-year-old. He's a 10-year-old, so he's absorbing that shit. Um, and then, you know, as, as late as this season, my, my nephew hearing and being called racial slurs and having to make a choice of, you know, and then the sad thing is his grades, he's like a top honor student. And, and, and one of the two or three best players on the soccer team. And that's not, you know, this is, this is what I always say. And Corolla used to bring this up. And I remember saying, when people would say, oh, you know, we have a black president and Oprah's a billionaire. What racism? And I would say, Harry Belafonte was the first artist to sell a million records in this country. He did it in the 1950s. Are you going to tell me that because of that, there was no racism in the 1950s America? Because one exceptional person broke through? Like, is that the standard? Is, was Harry Belafonte delusional by donating to civil rights causes and being chased by the Klan in the South as he did civil rights activism because he had sold, he was the first platinum-level artist in American history, so therefore, what's he doing? No, of course not. And I always say to people, what's the line? What's the time? Because was it Obama's election? Because the, the rise in, in threats against the presidency and the election of a racist president eight years later would tell me that there was a severe racism backlash but, um, you know, exceptionalism has not helped uh, my nephew in 2022 avoid direct racism. And I, and I said to my girlfriend yesterday, I said, um, isn't it interesting that in the 1970s, my parents endured soft, like subtle racism. I mean, it was racism, but like the guy at the hotel didn't say we don't let niggers here. He just said, oh, uh, it seems that we're out of reservations. There must have been a mistake. Now, that's horrible. But is it worse 
that 49 years later, my, my father's grandson is being called racial slurs in a blue state in a school where he is excelling and getting better grades than probably almost any of his teammates, and he's one of the two or three best players on the team? Is that better? Are we a better country now? Or are we somehow worse, whether grading on a racism curve or just in absolute numbers? I would argue that my father being turned away um, was less offensive than what's occurring. And I think you probably agree. Um, so that's, but maybe my family's just unlucky, right? Maybe it just so happens that my Haitian father ran into a lot of racist people and that I happened to talk to many racist women over the course of my life that no one else talks to. And that maybe my sister-in-law just happened to bump into the worst cab drivers in DC and that my, my nephew just happened to be on the only, in the only school in New Jersey with, with, with kids tolerant and, and using, uh, tolerant of and using racial slurs. Maybe it's all one big coincidence and that I'm just overreacting. But, you know, the degradation of our, our art uh, the unwillingness for people to accept history and to, to make hard choices. The, we are not going to solve racism in this country. We're not going to solve climate change. We are headed towards uh, bad times. And that we are in bad times, and the bad times are going to get worse. Which is, in a weird way, comforting. That, like, I, I, as I'm talking through this, I go, well, you know what? Mm, comedy, not that big a deal. Failing at comedy, not that big a deal. Maybe I should be doing something better with my life. Um, maybe I should be helping disabled kids or, or, or working with a homeless shelter um, or something, something, something more meaningful than, than fighting the comedy industry for uh, respect that is probably not even worth the email it's sent on, considering the caliber of people that, that uh, populate this industry from the top to the bottom. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I, I've been thinking about like, 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 I, I, the more life goes on, the more I'm like, God, the people that talk down about racism being an issue. And I'm, this isn't social media justice I'm talking about. These, this isn't social media warriors uh, bitching about tweets. Or I'm just giving you real life examples. And it, it makes me very upset that, you know, my nephew has to suck it up like he's a fucking kid sitting at a counter in a Woolworths in 1960s because he doesn't want to drop the hammer because he wants certain kids punished but we've gotten to a point where he's not comfortable being like you know the the the, the executioner of some some freshman's high school career and the problem is it's like he, but it probably should happen um but he doesn't want that smoke to use to use the phrase, and that's an unfortunate. And I I can relate to that, unfortunately, where you just eat shit and say, "Well, I'm never hanging out with that person, or I'm never going to that restaurant again." But you're letting you're letting heinous shit slide to protect people who won't protect you from their own ignorance, like. He'll get shouted down for saying some kid shouldn't say a word, 
they won't even respect his request. But he's respecting their right to not have a permanent record that includes an ugly racism accusation. So, uh, fortunately, he's leaving that school. And, uh, you know, I think it's for the best. But, you know, it's, it's hard to take seriously, like when you see articles about white parents bitching about critical race theory. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know your kids. But my God, if they're growing up in a home where their parents are, are so upset about the notion of critical race theory that they are suing their school district, man, those kids probably need critical race theory uh, more than anybody. And they are probably the types of kids, I don't know this for a fact, but uh, if you're raised in a home where your family is that adamant and insecure and paranoid about racial justice and racial issues... Um, your kids probably are the type of kids who are saying racial slurs and saying, what, what? They say in the rap songs, why can't I say it? And those kids go unabated and unchallenged and they end up becoming, you know, your middle manager or your cop or your firefighter or your teacher or your your guy doing send, giving out bank loans to certain people and not others. Or you know, it, It's, uh, at some point, it begins, you know? Like I said, the 10-year-old saying racial slurs, hey, the kid's 10. Unfortunately, though, if the parents aren't willing to check it or learn from it, then it's only a matter of time, most likely, till that kid becomes, changes, you know, stops saying monkey and starts saying the N-word. So, fun times in America, everybody. Um, but yeah, I don't, that's, that's, you know, I explore some of that in half blackface and I take myself to task for some things and present some questions. And I hope that fucking special comes out sometime before the world ends. Um, and before my com it has to come out before my comedy career ends because I won't, I can't quit comedy until that comes out. So I just have to continue struggling in this comedy purgatory until half blackface comes out. Um, but reviews, uh, dope sick. I can't, I don't think I had finished dope sick. I think I talked about it on the bonus episode, but love dope sick. Um, on Hulu. Loved is a strong word because it's a very depressing show, but I thought it was great. Um, and I'm halfway, I'm, I'm going to finish Severance today on Apple TV. <sighs> but I got to say, I'm not feeling it. I don't know if it's going to end in a certain way or if it's one big reveal. You know, it's stylish. It's a lot of work went into it, but I, I don't know. Um, I want it, I, and I'm I'm finishing it today. I have three episodes, so it's it's not over, and maybe it all comes together like a Chris, like a good Christopher Nolan movie, not you, Tenet. But um, we'll see. So I'm 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 going to finish it. I'm open to seeing how it how it concludes this first season. But I'm not I'm not really feeling it. And a lot of people think it's amazing, and so I trusted you people. And if I end up thinking it's just okay by the end of it, uh, in the words of Don Corleone. I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And that I will not forgive. Um, but I guess that's it. More stuff coming to the Patreon. Um, obviously the art show video this week. Um, the live... Oh, and this week is also the live hangout with fans um, on Thursday at 8. And on top of that, uh, you got to be a part of the higher tier group, which is 7 instead of 4. And then the other thing... 
So you got the art video going up on Patreon. You got the live show. And then next week will be the new episode of Mike Pence Gaming. He will be playing Mortal Kombat. And then after that, we get into a whole new month with new book reviews, new bonus episodes, new videos, etc. So it's a fun time on the Patreon. So I hope you end the podcast. This one, the bonus this week was serious, but most of the time they're pretty lighthearted and, and, and very fun. Um, so it's if you're a fan, uh, I recommend you join. Um, and uh, I guess, and that's really all I have to promote. I guess if you don't live in Boston, that's really all I have to promote right now. So the best way to interact and get some bonus, con- good bonus content, like like I think you know me that I take a lot of pride in, in my work. So um, give it a try. If if you know, and if you don't have the time, I get it. I'm not like I said. If you don't have the time to absorb, you know, an extra episode and some new videos each week, I get it. Like, I don't, I don't want donations. Like I said, I want, I want, I want fans. But if you, if you are open and looking for stuff, and since I don't have a lot of shows coming up outside of, I don't have anything outside of Boston um, until I hear further or till the special's ready. That's that's basically the only way to to get stuff. And thanks to everybody who ordered cameos as well. Those were a lot of fun. So those are always available for birthdays and stuff. Um, they're always just a plus, but, uh, this went a little long, but, uh, wide ranging today, but this was a real, a real dump on the culture of America. And it's only getting worse because the Supreme court is getting set to hand down a case in West, a decision in West Virginia versus EPA, which, and explained much better by Professor Eric Siegel uh, on my friend Pete Dominic's podcast last week. Uh, he, Eric Siegel is a guest this week on the, today's episode as I record this. But if you look last week or in the last like seven episodes, he discusses this case in particular and says above Roe v. Wade being overturned, above the gun cases, he thinks this is potentially the most catastrophic and important case the Supreme Court will hand down because they're basically going to rule that Congress can't delegate certain things to the EPA, even though the EPA has the expertise. This has been, you know, so in other words, that will require, as as Professor Siegel uh, described it, it will basically require Congress to do all the work that that like agencies have done, like with their expertise. So you you will never see climate change legislation or decisions or rules. They're trying to basically stop the EPA from doing what the EPA has been doing, which is like, oh, when there's a Democrat in office, the EPA gets aggressive and passes regulations and, and, and fights for the climate because laws are, are going nowhere. And they're basically going to be like, no, Congress has to do all that work as well. So you're going to have to have like, Congress bogged down in all the scientific studies and all and, and in other words they won't be that nothing will get done and it will ensure a climate catastrophe for the globe because if the US is not leading uh, it's bad enough but if the US is actively hurting the climate then the world will follow and we will we will fail in what is already an inordinately difficult task we will fail. We will ruin the planet. We will, you know, much of the earth will become, I think, uninhabitable. It may not hit us at first, but you know, once Miami is underwater and Houston is like hurricaned to death, um, and New Orleans no longer exists, then you might start to see people going, "Well, we've got to do something." And it's like it's too late. It's too late. You've had a half a century of dire warnings, and you did nothing. So, on top of comedy disappointing me, on top of Disney trying to single-handedly maul art to death, people interpreting my fans, quote-unquote, uh, trashing jokes they don't understand, and uh, 
racism abounding. And once again, I would challenge somebody who thinks that racism is overblown. Do you think I'm lying? Or do you think I'm the most unlucky person in the world that me and my family are just incredibly unlucky? Or do you think that maybe you've been downplaying how central race and racism is to so much of this country, from its politics to its everyday interactions? Maybe you've been underplaying it. Maybe I'm not the most unlucky person in the world with the most unlucky family. Maybe it turns out there's a lot more shit going around than you think. And go watch Dope Sick. If you need to, after this episode, I think watching a show about the opioid epidemic would probably be a pick me up. So go watch Dope Sick on Hulu. That's my recommendation for the week if you haven't already seen it. I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, well, no, I hope you have found this somewhat interesting. This is one of those, I hope you found this episode interesting, not funny, <laughs> but uh, good funny stuff coming this week with that art show uh, video. I really, uh, man, it was it was fun to do and it's it's really creepy. Some of my artwork is genuinely fucked up from sixth grade. So get a window into my soul through my art. This week on Patreon with JL Covan, JL Max Plus Prime. Uh, and I guess that's it. I think I might see the Elvis movie. Um, I know The Righteous Girlfriend wants to see it. And I'm, uh, you know, I hear mixed things, but uh, I'm willing to try it. Um, it's not going to be a Top Gun Maverick, but, you know, what what will be? Uh, so that's it. Thank you for listening. Uh, hope you get your tickets for Boston. Hope you join the Patreon. Uh, give this show five stars on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. I'm close to 200 ratings, so I'd like to get through 200 ratings. And uh, that's it. Have a safe week. Have a healthy week, guys. Don't be racist. Uh, and uh, stop trying to tell me how to punch up jokes. And I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.